Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Raina Campbell, who is a storyteller, producer, and podcaster of Dreams and Drive, and also a mom. She'll be sharing her birth story with us today, reflecting on navigating her fears about birth, building her birth team, and having a baby during COVID-19 pandemic. We are excited to have her share her truth today. Hello, Raina. Welcome to the show. Hello, Danny. Hello, Laurel. I am so excited to be sharing my colorful birth story with you guys. I love the way you described that. Colorful. <laughs> yes, okay. definitely. It was very colorful. <laughs> well, before we get into that, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? All right. So I am Raina. As Danny so graciously mentioned, I am a storyteller, producer, and I am the host of the Dreams and Drive podcast. I currently have a almost seven month old son named Axel and uh, I'm raising him with his father. So we're kind of like a a three, not threesome, but you know what I mean? Like I just have one. This is my first kid. Um, Had him in September 2020. Pandemic baby and navigating life of being a new mom during COVID-19, which has definitely been interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? So where do I start? What part? Where do y'all, where do y'all want me to start? Just the actual pregnancy itself. You don't have to jump right to the labor. Just how, like, from the point that you found out you were pregnant. We can go from there. Okay. So I found out I was pregnant in the beginning of in January. It was, it was definitely an oops, right? It, but when, when thinking about it, it was a, Oops, but I kind of see how that happened. Oops, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, that's that's the kind of oops that it was. Um, and in the beginning, you know, this would be prior to prior to COVID. Up, uh, just for some background, because this is something I publicly shared. I did have a miscarriage in 2016, so I had been pregnant before. Had a miscarriage, was dealing with navigating feelings of loss, a little bit scared to like try again because that also was a oops baby. Um. And so the first thoughts of being pregnant was I knew that I didn't want the experience that I had with my miscarriage. I was with the OBGYN, a white office. Um, I just really didn't like the care that I had. I'll never forget my OB telling me when I went into my initial visit, had all these questions and she told me to go to babycenter.com to, to answer these questions. Right. Yes. Yes. That's what she said. And so just navigating that whole miscarriage experience, I just feel like, I didn't want that anymore. I, didn't, I wanted to make sure that I took the time to really research a care provider that I I wanted and that I felt safe with. So for the first, like, it's crazy now. For the first, like, eight, nine weeks of pregnancy, I was doing midwife shopping. I was doing, I was doing a lot of research, visiting different places, going to different centers, trying to find a care team that I really trusted. And I finally found one in New Jersey that I trusted, but then I had an insurance issue. So I had to then navigate the whole insurance issue. So I finally found a care provider and settled in with them around 13 weeks and began my prenatal care. Um, I really, for me, I felt like I had a quote unquote easy pregnancy. Um, I didn't necessarily first semester, I first not first semester, first trimester, I was like in the normal, you know, like tired. Um I felt um I didn't really have any morning sickness. Second trimester is when things kind of hit me randomly. I felt tired. Um, but 
overall, my pregnancy was good. Like, I didn't have any swelling. I was very active. I did Pilates with my sister like two or three times a week. So I tried to stay very active during pregnancy. But a part of my pregnancy that I I really feared, though, was the giving birth part. And I tried to do as much during pregnancy to just prepare myself mentally for that. So I had a doula. Uh, I worked with a doula program here in New Jersey, sister-to-sister doulas. And I was assigned a main doula and a backup doula. And having a black doula was very important to me because I didn't have a black midwife, but I trusted them. But just having the doulas there and them being able to really talk through with me and my partner, Andrew, about, you know, what what we could expect and what we could do for, as far as like planning prenatally and all that stuff. It was very relaxing for me because as the pandemic, you know, the pandemic came around April, March, April, and I realized that pregnancy would look different for me than others. Right. So it was very much so. I had I couldn't go anywhere. And when you see other people who are pregnant, they're out parading their bellies everywhere. And I'll never forget, I told my friend I went to Trader Joe, Trader Joe's, and I ended up telling like this random guy online, like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, Congratulations. Just because I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to kind of parade my pregnancy. So in the beginning it was tough. But as the summer rolled around, you know, this is when we were thinking about baby shower planning. I ended up having a drive-by shower, which was a kind of a disappointment because we both have big families and we're Caribbean and I kind of thought I would have this big Caribbean bashment base you know bashment birth um baby shower that didn't happen so I really felt like pregnancy was joyful physically I was fine it wasn't too bad but mentally and emotionally there were a lot of things I was missing out on and um when September 22nd, no, t- September 20th came, my, my life changed. That was the, the night I went into labor. Before you, um, you know, start to give us your, your birth story, um, I'm just thinking about the amount of community loss, right, that we've had during this pandemic. How much those, those celebrations, you know, add to having a positive mental health throughout your pregnancy, feeling like you're fully supported, being able to share that news, uh, be grounded in your excitement with community and just how much the pandemic has taken that away and altered it, right? Um, So much as like seeking strangers to be like, something exciting is (laughs) happening to me. Yeah. (laughs) Celebrate with me in this moment. He got excited with me. He got excited. He's like, congratulations. Yes. Um, and just being able to help us prepare for our journey, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you're able to, when you are able to share in your excitement with me, that's like when you have others who are able to share how their experience was, um, ways that they might be able to like fully support you. Um, all of that happens in those, the early parts of the pregnancy, right? To be able to set you up as you're working, um, as you're getting closer to meeting baby, uh, but I love that you, you know, like you said, it, part of your preparation was connecting with doulas, right? Um, yeah. And being able to have that foundation in doulas who look like you and could give you the care that you really, really, and the support that you needed. Yeah, it was it was definitely a game changer. And I think also for me, I am a lifelong researcher and I just knew what my experience was like before. And I told myself, like, I have the power. I can get educated and have as much knowledge going in beforehand. Um, And it's funny because everyone would tell me, 
looking back, I would send my like boyfriend, I would send him all these birth videos. Let's say every day I was sending him birth videos on Instagram. And everyone was like, you're scaring him. You're scaring him. Right? I'm like, no, we got to prepare. We got to prepare. He got to know what is going to happen. Because the thing, the one thing I will say during pregnancy, I told myself, I want to have a natural birth. I want to have a natural birth. I'm going to have a natural birth. And my biggest fear is actually pain. Like, I do not like needles. I, do, I'm, I have a very low pain tolerance. I would want to say the, the most painful thing I've ever experienced probably has been a bad toothache. I've never broken any bones. I never had to go to the hospital for anything. So that was the one thing that kind of tripped me up about pregnancy was just anticipating this pain that people had always described. Oh, it's the worst pain in your life. You'll feel like you're breaking on your bones and a truck is running over you. I had heard a lot of things. So I kind of had this fear my entire pregnancy of, will I be able to do it? But I knew I really wanted to have a uh, natural birth. So that was part of my pregnancy education or just teaching myself about what I would have to do to really prepare myself for that. Um, and that's where having really good care provider, my midwifery team, they support natural births. Um, and they were a big component of me being able to feel supported in that decision as well. There is something really odd about how we prepare or how other people prepare other people for pregnancy. Right? <laughs> like, what is the fear base? Like, one, it's like age-old rule. Like, if you don't have something nice to say, just don't say anything at all, right? But if you must say something and you feel like you just have to prepare somebody for what it could be, another thing you could say is, take inventory of your own pain tolerance, mm-hmm. right? Um, seek coping mechanisms. <laughs> like there has to be another way for other women, especially to communicate the challenges of labor. And just, even if you just say it's called labor, you know, I mean, it's labor, it is work. There is going to be some challenges, um, but man, how horrid is it that that is just like the first thing so many people go to when they find out someone's pregnant? Like, I know. And I think they say, yay. <laughs> like, right? oh, man. <laughs> I think it's also just how now I only speak from our community because I'm, I don't exist in, to any other community. Right. But I feel like in our community, there's a lot of like lack of education about how birth can go. I think a lot of times, at least people that I know, most people just think of going to the hospital, getting an epidural, you laying on your back. I, I think that people don't, or at least around a lot of the people that I know, like they don't really do a lot on the preparing yourself for birth. It's more about preparing, you know, the baby's room, getting all this stuff. But I think that we've kind of, in the narrative that has been played or has been written for a lot of people, they don't see themselves as empowered during birth, if that makes any sense. I think they see themselves as like, okay, but the doctor will help you give birth, but re- not really seeing that, wait, no, you're the one, and it comes from your power. And you- It was something that I don't think if I had took the time out to research, I wouldn't have known just because like my mom had a C-section, my grandma had a C-section. A lot of my friends had C-sections. You know, a lot of my friends had epidurals. A lot of people I've known had really complicated pregnancies. So I kind of thought that maybe that's just going to be how I am, right? So I think there has to be this, like you said, Danny, there has to be a rewriting of what birth is. Because now that I think about it, like 
the pain was painful, but it's not what people were telling me. It was not like someone was running over me with a truck, right? And it was something that I definitely could do. So that piece about not, you know, seeing their own power um, in their experience, I think really speaks to then how they describe it to other other yeah. people. Because when you aren't clear about what your power is, if you aren't sitting in your own agency, then it's all fear because you have no control or you yeah. feel like you have no control, right? So then if that happened to you, um, then that's what you're sharing. That's the standpoint that you're sharing from. Yeah, right. That's what they start to project out. Yeah, exactly right. Beyond building your birth team and getting the education and watching all those birth videos, <laughs> was there anything else outside of that that you were thinking about in your preparation? Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of times, I think for me, I was also really thinking about support just because there were a lot of like family issues going on with us and family dynamics, people who are sick, people who we thought would be able to help support us, but then, you know, got sick and just navigating family support systems and realizing that what I thought I would have post-birth may not have happened and realizing, wait, it might just be us two trying to figure things out in these first few weeks. And so leading up to the birth, I was just trying to prepare myself. All right, what do I need to do? What do I need to have? Like I've heard of the fourth trimester and that being really tough for moms. And how can I make sure that I'm not, I was scared to get like postpartum depression as I know that's something that can happen and you can do all the preparation. I just was telling myself, I hope that doesn't happen to me. So I wanted to, good thing, like two of my best friends are also moms. Um, So I think, hearing the realities of what motherhood is like, the the bad and the good, helped prepare me for times when things weren't always going well, right? Because one of my friends is like, she, she had the biggest shock. I don't know who told her things were going to be like flowers and, you know, ponies those first few weeks. And she said, girl, if I could give you any advice, it's know that it's going to be tough, but you'll get through it. And she said, no one told her that. Everyone said, it's great. It's amazing. And those first few weeks of no sleep and um, just trying to figure out your baby's personality and all of that. So I went into it knowing, all right, girl, this is going to be life-changing, but you can get through it. I still was hit with the bricks though, because sleep deprivation, I've, I never had that before in my life. So that was the biggest thing those first few weeks of just feeling tired, but knowing that you have to still do it. I was breastfeeding exclusively, still am. So just knowing that, I think the the biggest thing I was, I, I hope that I could prepare for, but I don't think anything can prepare, for, prepare you for it until you actually do it, is just how different life will be. And also knowing that it's a change, but it's a change that all women go through when you'll figure out your normal eventually <laughs> uh i still feel like seven months almost seven months in there's just new changes happening every day that i'm trying to adjust to can you describe your birth experience for us oh okay so this is the part so it all happened on a sunday evening <laughs> my friends like hit me up and said hey man let's all hang out i was by this time 40 weeks plus two um, I'm like, this baby needs to come. I was doing everything. I was walking, doing hills, everything. And it just didn't happen. So I decided to just chill with my childhood uh, high school friends for a week. 
for for the night and not the night for the day i'm sorry and by the end of the night my boyfriend was going to pick me up from my friend's house we're driving to her house and i said to her because she's my best friend she also had two kids i'm like i think i'm having contractions i feel like i have to poop but it, it was just random she said girl you better not have this baby in my car <laughs> so uh by the time i got home i knew something was not right because it was like the most intense sensation of feeling like I had to poop, but nothing was coming out. I called my boyfriend and said, Oh my God, I'm in labor. So I called the midwife and she was so chill. She was like, go back to sleep, honey. Call me in the morning. I said, no, I'm about to have this baby right now. She said, you are in early labor. You can talk. Call me in the morning. And she kept rushing me off the phone. And so at that point I kind of felt like, wait, I'm going to have to get through this for the next, you know, a few hours. So that's when I was having early contractions, um, just in bed, trying to figure it out. We were just, by this time, the doula wasn't with us. So by the morning, I was really convinced I was going to give birth because I hadn't felt anything like this in my life. So the midwife, I guess to quell my anxiety, told me to come into the office for a check. And so came into the office and I think I was two centimeters. She still told me I was in very, very early labor and to go home and rest. And I kept saying, you keep telling me to go home and rest. She said, call your doula, have your doula come, but you're still in early labor. There's no point in rushing to the hospital. So I call my doula. I go home. I take a shower. And I realized, me and Andrew realized we had been doing the whole counter pressure thing wrong the whole time. And so she really taught Andrew like how he could support me. We were walking around the house, doing a lot of different poses on the yoga balls. Um, so I was laboring at home by this by this time for a good 24 hours. My doula was a little bit tired. She told me I'm still in early labor to call her back when my contractions were getting, you know, to that 511 point that they tell you. So we were timing it. And to be honest, I was getting very anxious. I felt like like the baby was going to come. I just wanted to get to the hospital. At this point, I was over being home, trying to labor at home. Um, the pain was getting a little bit or the, the the sensation was getting more intense. So I finally called my midwife and she said, just come to the hospital. So I told my doula, she went to get her stuff and she went to meet us at the hospital. When we got to the hospital, though, I was having consistent contractions by this time. They just stopped. I don't know if the baby was like, wait, wait, where you at? Like, where are you going, right? <laughs> we in the hospital. I don't want to be here. And so they put me on the monitor just to make sure that I was all right. The baby was all right. They told me I was dehydrated. At this point, though, this is where I realized once I got to the hospital, I then was in hospital care. Oh, I didn't get to mention this before. I really wanted to birth at a birthing center. But just due to cost, it costs so much to birth at a birthing center in New Jersey. I think it was around like $5,500 to $8,000. Whereas, you know, the hospital would be basically free with my insurance. So I didn't get to, I, I chose just financially, all right, I'll just do it at the hospital. I didn't want to waste fifty five, not waste, but I didn't want to spend $5,500 when, you know, that could go towards the baby down the road. So in the hospital, they gave me IV fluids. I didn't want that, but they kept telling me, this was before my midwife got there. This was the nursing staff, right? They kept saying, oh, you need to have, you know, you need to, you're dehydrated. You need to get fluids. They did the COVID test, which hurt so bad. I'm like, oh, my God, this was my first time getting a COVID test. And it was the long ones that went all the way up to your brain. That one. <laughs> um, 
I just was wondering why am I not having contractions anymore? So for a good four hours, I probably had three contractions. So finally, my midwife came in all lackadaisical, like, oh, hey, honey, right? Because she knew that I was still in early labor. She's like, you know, you came to the hospital a little bit too early, but by now you're four days plus four, right? I don't think you need to go home. Let's have this baby today. And the one thing is I really didn't want to have any interventions, but we went through the options and she said, I'm going to give you a little bit of Pitocin, not a full dose, just a little drip of Pitocin just to get your labor started again. And so we decided to give me Pitocin. And I was really nervous. I heard that, you know, Pitocin makes your contractions even crazier, right? And how do you get through that? So my doula at this time was there. My boyfriend was there. Um, I hadn't really been doing anything because I didn't have any contractions. But once that Pitocin started, so they gave it to me, I think around 6 a.m., I had consistent contractions up until the baby was born at 4 a.m. that day on September 22nd. So labor for me was, it was, I felt like I was working out. It was, I, I, I made sure that I, I actually labored and I moved. I did not want to be attached to the bed. I did not want to be, uh, bedridden. They let me, they didn't let me walk outside of the room, but I was in the room walking around. We were doing different positions. I was on the peanut ball. I had the regular yoga ball bouncing. I went in the shower. I was on the toilet. I really succumbed to the labor experience. And it's funny because I thought I was going to be snapping selfies during labor, like, oh, two centimeters, three centimeters, right? None of that happened. I had zero pictures. I was so focused on getting through every contraction and then waiting for the next one, getting through it. And and that's what I told myself. I said, every contraction is just one step closer to meet in, to meeting my son one step closer to meeting my son. I didn't say the word pain. I made sure everyone in the room called it an urge, a surge or a sensation. Um, Everybody in that room, like my doula and my boyfriend, they were working too, right? They were doing counter pressure. They were helping me sway. They were really helping me not tell the nurses I need an epidural. So My water didn't break until about five centimeters. I went into the shower after my water broke. And then I was at eight centimeters when I came out the shower. And finally, they say, I think that's called the transition period from eight to 10, or if if that's right. That was the part where I saw the ancestors, guys. When I tell you I saw the ancestors, you know that part in Black Panther where he goes into the ancestral plane and talks to his ancestors? (laughs) I felt like I felt I, I felt like it was so intense of a focus and telling myself this will get you will get through you will get through you will get through this. I was that typical screaming pregnant lady by that point, like you know, grunting. Um, I just told myself. I think the thing that also got me through is I was more scared of the epidural needle than getting like the pain of labor. Right. And I kept saying, I don't want a needle. I don't want a needle. I don't want to, you know, have that experience. So I don't know if I'm doing a good experience of, of describing this or the timeline there, but it it kind of is a blur, but I was in labor from, they gave me the Pitocin to re- to restart the labor. So that's 6am. And then I had the baby at 439. So pushing, 
Now I have the that the one thing I did ask my doula to do and she remembered was to record it. In the hospital I was at, you know, they're pro midwives. I guess they didn't have any problem or they didn't probably see her because they were so focused on my nurse team and my midwife were so focused on getting the baby out. Um, when she told me it was I was 10 centimeters, uh, she said, all right, you can start pushing. And I thought I was going to be pushing on my hands and knees. And I had this whole idea of how I wanted to push. But the the position that I ended up getting in where I was I was on my back, but I was kind of on my side with one leg up. And by this point, I was exhausted. So I was in labor for 40 hours at this point, And I was so exhausted. Um, watching the video, I'm, I looked crazy. I looked like pooped, but I was so determined. I was so determined. But we had a problem because his head came out, but it kept going back in. For a good like 10, 15 minutes, it would come out and it would go back in. They were using mineral oil to stretch me as he was coming out so I wouldn't tear. Um, I kind of thought I would have that one, two, three, push, 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 and he's out. It didn't count any of the pushes with me. They let me kind of just push with the sensation. But it took a long time. It probably took about 25 minutes for him to fully come out. And then when he came out, they realized his hand was by his head. So his hand and his head came out. It was like his hand, his head, and his umbilical cord all in one. Like he was kind of holding his umbilical cord near his face. He still does it now. He hands, he puts his hands by his face all the time. And he came out. So that's why it was so difficult during labor. Um, but the minute he came out, I tell you, I thought I would cry, but it was like, I was screaming like tears of not even tears. I didn't cry. I thought Andrew would cry too. He didn't cry. We both were like, Oh my God, yo, we did it. We did it. I'm like, no, you didn't do anything. I did it. Right. <laughs> Cause towards the end, he thought he was a midwife in the video, in the video. He was the one saying, all right, he's going to be out the next push, next push. I'm like, mm, okay, that did not happen. But I felt so proud of myself. It was, that was the biggest sensation I felt was pride. You know, they took the baby, they checked him, they delayed the cord clamping like I wanted, they delayed wiping off his vernix, all that stuff. And just seeing this baby that I had imagined for months, right? I imagined how he would look for months and just seeing how he looked and just knowing that, you know, as my dad always tells me, the easiest part is labor, right? The, the easiest part is, is the birthing the baby. It's the things that come after that are going to be really, really challenging. So knowing at least that this part was over and he was here safe, oh, man, it was worth it. It was worth it. And I realized that this big thing that I feared so much, which was labor and pain, that I did it. And I think for a new mother being able to accomplish that. And I know so many other people may have com pregnancy complications and things happen during labor that they might not have the labor that they wanted. But for me, being able to accomplish that and being able to really say, I had a bad experience with my miscarriage and I vowed to myself that I would make sure that this time I didn't and being able to accomplish that made me feel like a superwoman. I felt so proud. There was a space where you said that you didn't feel like you were telling the story in the right order. And it's um, it's very common that birth is <laughs> simply not linear, um, yeah. as, especially as we tell the story. And it's like, this happened, then wait a minute, then that, and you kind of keep going around and back and there's no straight line, right? Um, yeah. And birth plans, birth plan shifts are, um, can be 
challenging when it happens, right? You're like, I have this whole idea and plan and there's no reason why in your head why it could go off, right? Until yeah. you're in it. You're like, okay, what am I letting go of, right? So I can move forward um, and what, you know, and I can deal with it afterward, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of processing and what supports do I have to help me understand like if there is a next time or you know what do you know how do you reconcile that with yourself with different things that we choose in the moment um I recently yeah, the, the pitocin was the thing that threw me for a curveball because I always heard so many bad things about it but I think it also helped that my care provider knew that it was something I didn't want to do so they really gave me the the lowest dose possible and then something I didn't even know if there could be amounts of doses so sometimes when they give people pitocin they give them a very large dose and that's what causes very intense contractions and can lead to complications eventually down the line. So I was very happy that I had a midwifery team that knew that you don't always have to do it the way that, you know, standard medical care will say. Like they legit, when I tell you at the end of my labor, I still saw the Pitocin bag. It looked as if nothing had dripped out of it. So it really was just a little drip that they gave me to kind of get things going again. And in retrospect, I think it was probably my fear that stopped the labor because I also have a really big fear of hospitals. And I was trying not to think about being in a hospital. But once I got the COVID test, they put me on an IV. The nurses were trying to tell me I was dehydrated. And it's funny because when the midwife came, she was like, why did you do all of this? Like, you guys are just ridiculous because she doesn't work at the hospital, but she works, you know, she's a midwife who can deliver at that hospital. Um, she was not playing with them. She was like, you guys are just ridiculous. Of course she's dehydrated because you gave her like, you know, she just, she really made me feel better about realizing that women were made to birth, right? This is a natural thing and you don't need all these interventions if it's not medically necessary, right? So having her on my side was, was amazing, <laughs> It's important to note for our listeners that the IV is optional. We know IV fluids. Um, mm -hmm. It becomes a, more of a mandatory thing if you choose an epidural because they go hand in hand. Um, but you can always drink water because that yeah. naturally <laughs> hydrates our bodies. And you tell them, I've been drinking water all day and I'm going to continue to drink water. And that's how I'm going to hydrate. <laughs> Yeah, but you know when I came and they put the monitor on me and they're like, the baby's heartbeat is irregular. I'm like, what are you guys telling me these things? It's because you're dehydrated, but once you get fluids, well, you know, that'll be better. And realizing that was all just standard nurse speak because, of course, when you go to the hospital, they want to just give you IVs just to cover their, you know, just in case something happens on their end. So it's something I know I now know for the future if I'd ever decide to have another child. Um which is what this birth was. It was like really a test drive, right? For me realizing that you could do it. And if you do it again, you can do it a different way. It's always great to have care providers or anybody on your birth team who truly understand what your vision for your birth is. Mm -hmm. So that when those shifts happen, they're able to support you in making that shift, right? Like, yes, understand that you don't you didn't want those interventions. But here's X, Y, and Z and what we can do to help that um, shift 
still that it doesn't completely alter right your birth vision mm-hmm. like it's a part of it that shifts it's a part of it that might have you know made another a different twist than you thought but it doesn't take away from the feeling of peace that you might want that feeling of yeah. um i'm leading the the charge and all of this happening um that's just really that's you know really really important when you build your birth team um or even when trying to make decisions with your partners or whoever your other support people are that they fully understand that like yeah this is my birth vision i understand there might be shifts but when those shifts occur how can you all support me in making sure that those those shifts still feel good right yeah that was a long-winded way to just say all of that <laughs> <laughs> um so baby's here can you tell us well let me just say this postpartum is forever to us so can you tell us how the beginning parts of your postpartum were and then where you are now on that journey Ooh. so beginning for me was kind of hectic as I said I had some family issues you know that I was navigating while I was pregnant and even post-pregnancy um the first two weeks I had to make um I had to move houses right so we had to move or I decided to I thought I'd be staying with my parents and I decided that all right we'll stay with my boyfriend's at my boyfriend's house with his mother um just to kind of ease a little bit of the tension that we were having from the family sense and it was hard right because you go into pregnancy thinking that you'll have this support system and that things will be a certain way and then kind of shift to that not happening. So here I am trying to navigate that with the baby who's exclusively breastfed. Uh, this is where I will have to say the person who, the support person who ended up really changing my outlook and my confidence was my lactation consultant. She was a godsend. And when I tell you, it's funny how she helped just made me realize so many things that I was feeling was normal. And as a new mom, just feeling like, you're not the only one can really save your life, right? Because if you're going through things and you just hear like this baby, for me, I'm like, why is he eating every 30 minutes? Why is he eating every 45 minutes? You know, I didn't really know about cluster feeding. I didn't realize, you know, I had to make sure he had a better latch. Breastfeeding was hard in the beginning. So just having one person, I'm telling you, this one person, she sat with me on the phone for hours one day, just going through, showing me how to do things via FaceTime and just really making me feel that I wasn't crazy, right? Although, you know, technically your hormones are all over the place, right? But helping me realize that I everything I was feeling was normal and it was something that wouldn't last forever. So in the beginning, sleep deprivation was real. I think navigating breastfeeding, even I started to even feel resentful towards my partner at some point. I'm like, yo, this is so like your life has not changed. Really kind of feeling like my life had changed in so many ways. Whereas his, of course, he's a father now, but I just think dads, especially it's it's different those first few weeks. Like the baby really is depending upon me for a lot. And um just trying to figure out how do I do things again? What well, I think the thing when I was early postpartum, I kept feeling like I'll never be the same ever again and grieving my old self. I really was like, oh my God, I heard about how your life changes, but you don't really think about it until your life really does change. And 
I started to kind of even be a little bit envious of other people's situations and realizing that, you know, like, for example, one of my friends, her mom was with her and her mom kind of like took the baby and she was able to do whatever she wanted because she still was in school. So she she had a lot more direct support from she had a lot more support with the actual baby and I kind of envied her and she would kind of give me tips and I would say, hey, but you know, you have your mother with you helping you, right? So it's, it's a little bit different for you. So I really had to navigate that part of the experience. But now, so seven months in, the thing that I'm navigating now is baby's a lot bigger. I got through it. Like I didn't think I was going to be able to get through a lot of things I did. I got through it, but now there's a new, a new, a new issue. So for me, the thing is, you know, I left my job, my corporate job, I'm saying that in air quotes, in 2018 to kind of work for myself, work from home, work on Dreams and Drive, my own freelance projects. And we had to have a decision about or a conversation about, is that something that's sustainable? Is that something that, you know, now that I have a son, I have to think longer term and I may not have as much room to make these risks, right? Maybe I need to get a job. A lot of people are remote still. Maybe I should. Not, maybe I should try to get on the remote bandwagon while I'm still here, right? While jobs are still offering people the opportunity to do jobs remotely. And by chance, an opportunity came up and I applied for it. And it was a remote position for a media company. And I got it. I'll say that now. Or I didn't tell anyone this yet. I got it. And now, if you want to be real, the biggest anxiety that I'm facing is how will I now be a working mom with the infant at home? My relationship, like the family stuff has gotten so much better. So I have that support again. Um, But it's still so scary. Like, you know, my son, he's so attached to me. I don't know if it's because breastfeeding or just, you know, having a positive, secure attachment. But even that is something I feel like isn't talked about in our community. They make you feel bad for your your kid liking you or your kid wanting to be around you all the time. And so I kind of felt like, am I spoiling him? So many things are going on in my head where I'm trying to navigate this new change of work, which I want to do, but then I don't know if I will be able to do it. And how will I navigate a job and a baby? And he's so, he's, about to start crawling now whereas before when he was younger I could just put him next to me and he just look at me all day right and now I have to actually entertain him and get him from not talk tumbling things over so I'm really nervous that I won't be able to succeed during this new transition I'm really nervous about that guys and that's the biggest part of postpartum you know dealing with this new identity as a mother trying to get your life, I'm saying that in air quotes again, your life back. Um, and also navigating not feeling guilty, right? I'm like, maybe I should just try to make money. You know, maybe, you know, we, we're, we're, we're living now. Like, it's, I don't necessarily need to get this job, right? But I feel like it's a good opportunity. And I would be not dumb for not taking it, but I don't want to look back at my son and be like, oh, because I had you, I didn't do this. And, you know, who knows what that could have, the door that could have really opened for me. So I'm just trying to figure it out. And then also his separation anxieties, because he hasn't really been around that many other people besides my parents and me and his dad and his grandmother. I'm really all he knows. And so it's tough now that he'll have to start getting used to being around other people 
and I hate hearing him cry. Oh, that was a big thing. I feel like I'm ranting here. The whole sleep training versus not sleep training thing, right? So we don't, we didn't sleep train him. We co-sleep sometimes. Well, most, okay, we co-sleep. By the end of the night, he's in the bed with us, right? I really try to start him in, I put him down and then by his second waking, he's in the bed because I don't got nobody got time for that. Nobody got time to be trying to get a baby to go sleep in his bed when he could just sleep peacefully with me with the boob in his mouth, right? And he's he's done. So that's something else I felt guilty about. It's just there's a lot of things that you feel like you should be doing as a mom, and then if you choose not to do it, are you doing? Are you setting your child up for failure? Right? The whole cry it out method, I couldn't really get with it. It just didn't work for us. My my boyfriend's really against it. Um, so we didn't do sleep training, but now I'm wondering, oh my God, is he ever going to sleep through the night? But one of the things with me being a researcher is realizing that nobody really sleeps through the night. It's more so that they'll wake up and not signal to you, right? Or everyone's sleep patterns are different and we need to normalize infant sleep. And that's what also makes me feel good is realizing just because there's this craze on Instagram and there's all these books about how it works, it may not work for you and you don't have to choose it. So there's a lot of things that I'm trying to just, I think motherhood for me has been a renewing of confidence in areas I never had to have confidence about before, right? I've never been a mother. I never had to make choices as a mother. So Building confidence in that area is one of the hardest things I've had to do because I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. But how do you know what's right if you've never done it before? So a lot to unpack there, guys. Hopefully your listeners can relate to some of it. You know, it's it's definitely a theme that I think a lot of people go through. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. <laughs> no problem. It's real. And it's the conversations that many of us have in our heads all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I remember the one thing my doula had said to me um, a couple of days after my son was born and we were trying to make a decision about something. And she said to me, who are are you doing it for? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, who are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? I remember looking at her like, well, the book said... (laughs) and she said but is that what you want to do and I was like no and she was like well then don't do it Mm. and it was those simple things and I know that that like it sounds so easy but I felt like it allowed me again to feel power in my decision of like I know at the end of the day what my baby needs right I know that I know that they're crying in the middle of the night because they need to be by me and I need to be by them no researcher, yeah. no, um, nobody else is with me when those things are happening. I feel in my body, I know my intuition that that's what my baby needs, right? And that's all that matters. That's all that is needed to be said. Yeah, I'm doing with the things that I'm doing for my child out of love. And like you said, to, to build a secure attachment, which we don't talk about enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, how can you spoil a, a four-month-old, right? And I think it's also, I think there's a big thing with our in our community, at least in my Caribbean community, with at least in my family. Let me not, let me not say it. 
with my family with breastfeeding number one right they're like how long are you gonna breastfeed that baby and I'm just like he's only six months like why are you trying to make me feel bad and then also this whole thing about showing love and what that means for a kid and I think like why why should I have to deprive him of love just so that he learns how to you know survive without me I hate when I hear my grandma saying that he needs to learn how to survive without you and I'm just like we're not in slavery no more, Grandma, right? <laughs> exactly what I was about to say. Like, that's not where it in... comes from. Literally. And that's what gives me anxiety because at the same time, I'm depending upon them to care for my son during times when I, like, for example, during this podcast interview, he's upstairs with my parents right now. And I'm just hoping, like, don't let him cry. Like, let him, you know, when he cries, pick him up rock him you know of course he might wonder where i'm at but don't tell him things like oh you know you got to learn to live without your mom like that's the type of stuff where you know my parents are already set in their ways i love them i know it's not coming from a place of harm but i just kind of wish sometimes that they could be more aligned but at the same time it's like i need y'all because you know i don't want to put him in daycare right now so it's, can we just can y'all just work with me please <laughs> so it's tough it's really tough Our children need to feel like they're loved. Yeah. And when we do that, all the rest eventually comes. Yeah. Whatever the rest is, right? (laughs) Um, And I think you both like hit it that we're, it's all stemmed from slavery, from like our history of, of how we had to build ourselves to be resilient, to, to survive. I don't want my children to survive. Like, I mean, sorry, let me repeat that. I want my children to survive, but I don't want them to live their lives or feel like their interactions with me have to be based out of that, but that it, they are, it is based out of me wanting them to have joy and to live their life free and fully. Yep. That's it. So I'm okay with you all day. (laughs) And that's what's also scary about, I think now as a mother, I think it's different to be a mother and then you also have to think about what type of parenting are you going to bring into your motherhood? Mm -hmm. And that is, it's like things I never thought about. Like, Hey, I I wasn't thinking about my parenting style when I was pregnant. Right. I was just trying to get this baby out. And how do you navigate that with your partner? And even with him, we had two completely different parenting experiences right like I grew up with both my parents you know in the same household he grew up with a split household you know his dad wasn't there but his mom was there so it's even in that dynamic you kind of don't know what you don't know right I'm seeing parenting from this perspective he's seeing from another perspective and you you know I don't want to tell someone yo you had a effed up childhood right because they might say yours wasn't that great either. So it's so, it's it's a tough, it's really tough. There's so much that goes into play. And I just keep telling myself, I don't want to mess up my kid. I don't want to mess up my kid, right? And how do you prevent against that? But, you know, even, even the people who've had the greatest parents, they're going to be, I know that I won't be able to fulfill everything for my son, but I just hope that I want to build a good relationship with him. And that's why I think it starts from now. And that's why I'm trying to just do my best in order to teach myself. How can I make sure that I am showing up the best way possible for him and for, for myself. 
That's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's no. it. That's all. I think you really bring up um, when we think about, you know, how do you how are you preparing for birth? How are you preparing for postpartum? Right. We need to start including in there. How are you preparing for your motherhood or your parenthood? Yeah. To have those questions early on with whoever you need to have them about, how do I envision being a parent, right? Because I I mean, my own opinion, I say this a lot, is I feel like children come into the world and they really highlight for us things that we might need to process, heal, or resolve about ourselves or our relationships. And what I don't want to ever do is in my own healing, um, the bad parts impact my children. So I have to be able to resolve my own stuff for me, which is then going to reflect more beautifully for them. And if I had known that earlier, I would have had those discussions in pregnancy. (laughs) Right? So I wouldn't have been. I tried having them with him. And I think some people like we learn differently. And even then you could prepare all you want, like even with labor, right? You could think that it's going to go one way. And there's this Jamaican saying, in Nagusa, right? It doesn't go like that. It, it, it's not going to happen like that. So I think if you two or whoever your partner is, if you're at least committed to trying to figure it out together, it's going to it's gonna be tough. It's going to be tough. There were times during the relationship, like when, when Axel was early, I'm like, yo, I do not like you in my head, right? <laughs> just because you're just so, it's, it's draining. It's draining to try to feel like you have to figure so many things out. And there's this, there's a kid who depends on you. Like the thing I was thinking about the other day was like, wait, when I'm sick, I still got to be a mother. Thank God I haven't been sick. Right. But before being a parent, you could be sick and just lay in bed all day. Now it's like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta be sick and figure out how your kid's going to get to school, how your kid's going to get fed, who's going to make their dinner. So. um I think having community, though, is what really has helped me. Being being able to lean into community, even podcasts like this, listening to other people's stories, realizing that there are things that we shouldn't feel f- afraid to ask our mother friends. Like, how did you get through this? And then also realizing, too, everyone's style is different. And just because someone shares their experience doesn't mean you have to do it. Because right now what I've been trying to get tips or crowdsourcing tips on how do you deal with separation anxiety, right? And everyone's telling me different things. So I have to kind of source through that and figure out, all right, what step will I take? Or what works for me and my child? Because um, the one thing I want to remember is he is his own unique person. He has his own unique personality. And I don't want to, I want to embrace that and realize that I can't force him to act away, but I can help guide him or help him realize this world is safe for him to experience it as he does. I like that. <laughs> this world is safe for him to experience it. Because I'm thinking it must be tough being a six-month-old, right? Like, <laughs> right. It must be tough. Like, you know, the other day we went, to, yesterday we went to New York to see my grandmother. You know, he fell asleep in a car. No, he fell asleep in his room and woke up in a whole different house he's never been in before (laughs) that's kind of (laughs) weird if I was if that was to happen to me so right I mean yeah our children are their own people 
And and in womb, you know, they're already developing their own personalities. But I do think about like really thinking it it helps to be able to respond to our children when we think about how would I react in this situation? Yeah. Like you said, I fell asleep and now I'm somewhere else. What? (laughs) Where my stuff at? (laughs) Right. Why does house smell different? (laughs) Um, Uh, So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your birth, for sharing your your postpartum truth, all of it. Um, Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, whether that be resources, advice, anything else from your birth? You know, I'm trying to think about it. Um, I think don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. Don't be afraid to create a vision for your birth. Honestly, you know, I think it's easy for us to to just say, oh, this is what it's going to be and not want to think about it because it can be a scary thing. But if you really know that you want to have a certain experience, don't give up on actually figuring it out, right? Don't give up on figuring it out. Don't give up on having that birth that you want and know that things can change and it's all right. Things can change and you're not alone. That's the biggest thing I've learned is mothers are going through this across the nation, across the world. It's a crazy time. It's a pandemic. I had a baby during a pandemic, right? There's so many things that are not normal about this. So I am just giving myself grace and um, lean into your community. That's the most important thing. Lean into your community. Lean into it. And I was going to say, I wish that people normalize like mothers. And the thing that I have realized it's so many things that now that I'm a mom, like, wait, why aren't there more dents in the sidewalk for you to put your stroller, you know, like to, for you to get the stroller onto, like even just in parking lots, why aren't there more, you know, mom parking spaces? Why is it, why is it so, um, why is motherhood kind of criminalized? Like people love the pregnant mo- pregnant person, but they hate the mother. Even when they're working in like in the work setting, I'm thinking about when he goes to school. So what are moms supposed to do who can't pick up their kids at three, right? When school's out because the job is a nine to five. There's so many things that I'm thinking about now that I am actually in the space that I just feel like society is not meant for mothers to thrive. But at the same time, you need mothers in order for society to run. So there's this this there's this whole like philosophical um just pondering that I've been doing as a mom. It's just how does society expect humanity to move forward if they're not really prioritizing the mother? Because we are the ones that kind of run the humans that are making society, right? So treat us well and you'll have so much society will change, right? But that that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast. You hit it on the head, though. There's just, you know, the idea that mothers have been kind of left behind, but the exposure of the challenges of motherhood, especially in the United States, has been exposed just by this pandemic. Um, We already knew it living in it and being mothers, but the pandemic has highlighted how so many women have stopped working, right, Um, are, are trying to find other ways to make income or, you know, work within their families, their households and different things. And there's not much that can be done. 
Well, there's things that could be done. There's not as much that's being done. So that's exactly. a way to put it. We are thankful for you Thanks. today. Um, you got this. <laughs> I need to hear that, guys. I really just you being got able this. to talk about the things. Will my baby ever go to other people without me? Yes. Just tell me that he will. Yes. When he okay. is ready, he will. Ask yourself if you want him to. Right. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I've always thought that children are always deeply in tune with other people. Even if somebody wants to hold them and they're great to you, there might be something going on with that particular person where they're like, no, they're really not in a good headspace, even though the baby doesn't have those words, but they know like. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It's just tough. I, I, I'm just trying to navigate that because, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And it's just like, you know, sometimes I'm for people, sometimes I'm not. So maybe I just need to need to be all right with that uh but it's like but bro you know if i have a zoom meeting you're gonna have to be you might have to just cry a little bit till i come back because mommy gotta work now <laughs> so right, right. oh man um and also know. thinking about that children currently being born during the pandemic may not even realize how many people there are right they yeah. don't go around to the stores they're not you know I have a couple of people who have taken their kids that have been born, you know, like last spring and they've been going to like the zoo and they said their kids are not interested in the animals. They just look at all the people. Wow. Wow. They haven't seen this many people. right? <laughs> so. There's going to be a case study on children born of the pandemic 40 years later. What happens? How are their brains different? Um, yeah, I try to get him out as much as possible safely. Um, that's also that's something else I probably could have talked about is I probably do more with him than other pandemic moms wouldn't. Like, I'm like, listen, I don't like Amazon Fresh. We got to go to the grocery store, bro. Okay, we <laughs> put you right in the stroller <laughs> with the cover up. <laughs> because, you know, I just, but that's the choice that I made. I'm just like, for my own sanity, because, you know, his dad's working during the day. So we have to, you know, I had I had to also make sure that I'm prioritizing my mental health and just getting out the house for me was, you know, I'll, I'll find a little stro- stroller, um, the little car seat cover, put that on him. And that made me feel a little bit better. But I had to I had to get out the house because I would have that was something I forgot to talk about being inside, especially during those first two months. It was tough. It was really tough and not having as many visitors as you would normally have. You know, a lot of my family, most of my family hasn't seen him beyond FaceTime and pictures. So, and not getting that, not getting that like community welcoming that you normally get when you have a new baby. Some of it's annoying, but some of it is also just so good for the spirit. And in mourning that, that was tough. I made it. (laughs) You're making it. You're making it. It's an ebb and a flow. This uh, motherhood journey. <laughs> it's an ebb and a flow. Well, again, we are so, so grateful. Thank you for your time. Tell that sweet baby we said thank you for his time, for letting you <laughs> come down and do this. Listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 